I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash hi. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm Dan Pfeiffer. Joining us on the pod today, Crooked Media's favorite token Republican, Tim Miller. Um, <laughs> we haven't talked to Tim since the Keeping in 1600 days. I know. We we actually had, I was thinking about that. That was the that was the podcast we taped in the empty like storage room that was the Ringer Studio when they were very early days. Very early and, days. And you and I had this debate about who was more electable, Trump or Cruz. Yes, we did. What did yeah. we say? I can't, I, we probably said the wrong we probably guessed the wrong well, person. Well, we disagreed. I said Trump, you said Cruz, and then I sort of backtrack, kind of like a wuss, uh, <laughs> abandoning my what would have been my one correct prediction for 2016. I do remember feeling proud of myself from that conversation that I said, even if I do think Trump was more electable, I still don't want him to be the nominee because I think it would be dangerous. And I agreed with Tim Miller on that. So we each got one thing right in a in a long right. sort of election cycle. Le- lesson is don't talk about electability anymore. Um we are also going to talk to Anna Marie Cox later, uh, host of Crooked Media's with friends like these. Uh, also, check out Pod Save the World this week. Uh, Tommy talked to Derek Chalet, foreign policy expert, longtime campaign staffer too. Um, uh, they're going to talk about whether you should sit down and meet with foreign governments in the middle of a campaign. It seems apropos. Also, Love It or Leave It was taped last night because Love It's on some kind of vacation uh, for two days here. But... Um, it was very exciting, Dan. There was something very big happened at Love or to Leave It last night, which was there was a marriage proposal. <laughs> I have a joke to make that I'm not going to make. <laughs> um, it was I, I was there. It was magical. Um, so everyone, I think I think that'll drop on Saturday, like it usually does. But uh, we'll see. Uh, also, a reminder: you can now find Pod Save America and other Crooked Media podcasts on Spotify. You can find it in the podcast section. You can just search for it. You can follow them and they'll automatically uh, download for you. It's great. Check out Spotify. Um, there's also like Spotify ads that people have found in subways with Pod Save America on them, which is very exciting. Yeah, you, you, were, you were on your honeymoon when this happened. We felt very cool for a week when people, our friends in New York, kept texting us uh, photos very of, cool. our, of Pod Save America in the subway. Um, okay, so let's get into it. Um, there... Is a brand new healthcare bill out this morning, but uh, because um, because things are still developing right now, I think all the Republican senators are at a lunch with Mitch McConnell, and he's unveiling the new bill to them officially. Um, we're going to start with boy genius Donald Trump Jr. first, in case there's any news that breaks while we tape the podcast, which of course there will be. Of course there will be. Every, every time someone says lunch with Mitch McConnell, I can't get the Obama White House correspondence in her joke out of my head. You have a drink with Mitch McConnell. <laughs> you have lunch with Mitch McConnell, Dean Heller. <laughs> uh, and he's still with us. Okay. So on Tuesday, political wonder kind, Don Donald Trump Jr. tweeted out the full email chain between him and a music publicist with ties to Russia named Rob Goldstone. Lovett said this last night during the show, but please, if you haven't, 
If you haven't taken some time to Google Rob Goldstone, go ahead. Go ahead and uh, treat yourself to that. <laughs> um, and so during this email chain, Trump Jr. agreed to meet with a Russian government attorney who promised to provide information that would undermine Hillary Clinton's campaign. Um, only thing I can do here is read some excerpts because it's basically no different um, than one of those Nigerian prince emails. Um, first of all, the subject line, Clinton, Russia, confidential. Very subtle. Um, <laughs> another excerpt. Good morning. The crown prosecutor of Russia. <laughs> which, like, I, First of all, I didn't know there was a position, the crown prosecutor of Russia. Um, there, there isn't. Um, I've read an excellent explainer about this on the Atlantic that we can get into, but I want to. I don't want to interrupt your flow here. Okay, great. Well, we'll get to that later. Um, the Crown Prosecutor of Russia offered to provide the Trump campaign with some official documents and information that would incriminate Hillary and her dealings with Russia and would be very useful to your father. This is obviously very high level and sensitive information, but is part of Russia and its government's support. For Mr. Trump, I can also send this info to your father via Rona, his personal assistant, but it is ultra sensitive. So I wanted to send it to you first. Outstanding. So what was Junior's response? Of course, quote, if it's what you say, I love it, especially later in the summer. Junior goes on to set up the meeting with the Russian government attorney Paul Manafort, Jared Kushner, and then forwards the entire email chain to Manafort and Kushner just to make sure they have no plausible deniability. Fantastic. Fantastic. And just like a, a just a cherry on the on the top of the Sunday there. Uh Goldstone, the guy who set up the whole thing on the email, uh checked into the meeting using Foursquare because it was the year 2010. <laughs> Yes, he also posts about it on his MySpace page. The last person who's still using Foursquare, Rob Goldstone. The whole thing. You know, we have the long-running sad joke on this pod was if... Yes, I was just thinking this today. If if there was an email found from the the Russian government to Trump coordinating hacking of Hillary Clinton... Paul Ryan would still do nothing. And that was, I use that example as the absolute extreme thing that would obviously never happen. And lo and behold, it does. And everything we predicted would happen after that magical pretend email came out has also happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Which is the entire Republican Party shrugging their shoulders and saying no big deal. Um, Okay, so what does this tell us? Um, Number one, It tells us without a doubt that Trump senior campaign advisors were told that the Russian government was supporting Trump's candidacy, uh, something that they cast doubt on when it was uh, concluded by our U.S. intelligence unanimously. Uh, It also tells us that Trump senior campaign advisors were willing to collude with a foreign adversary of the United States in order to undermine their opponent's campaign. It told us that Trump senior campaign advisors lied their asses off about all of this for a year. Uh, one count, they denied about 20 times that any such meetings took place with Russians. They scoffed at this notion on any number of interviews. Um, and of course, we also know that Jared Kushner, who's currently a senior White House advisor with a top secret security clearance, lied about this secret meeting. Also lied about a secret meeting with the Russian ambassador. Also lied about a secret meeting with the CEO of a Russian state-owned bank. 
on his security clearance forms, which is a crime. Um, so that's great. That's what we know. What what don't we know yet? Um, Dan, how much trouble is Trump Jr. in? It feels like a lot. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not an attorney, <laughs> okay, but it doesn't good. feel good. I like the legal opinion. I mean, well, there. I'd say a couple things about this. I think it's worth... To really put this in context, the set of lies that were told about this specific meeting are so suspicious. You know, and you guys did a little bit of this on Monday, I believe, but it's New York Times calls Trump and Trump Jr. and I guess the White House and says, We know you met with this Russian attorney who is very closely associated with Putin and the Russian government in during the campaign. Trump says Jr. says, yes, I did. It was about adoptions, which is a code word for sanctions because when the the U.S. put in passed a law that sanctioned Russian uh, human rights violators, Russian ended an adoption program. (laughs) The next day, it is it is revealed that he that the meeting was actually about Russia. And then he puts out the email. And before we applaud Donald Trump Jr. for for transparency here. The New York uh, Times I was, had we were, the I was email. in no danger of doing that. Yes. The New York Times had the email. They called Donald Trump Jr. and said, we have the email. Trump's team, whatever moron lawyers he is, he is hired, said, give us, we need to give us some time to respond. The New York Times holds, which is the responsible thing to do in this case. And in that interim period, Donald Trump Jr. tweets out the email so that he can be applauded for his transparency when all he did was just beat the New York Times by like three minutes. Um, it's the lying that is most suspicious here and stupid, right? And I th- there are some interesting things about this too, which is I Senator Senator Lankford from Oklahoma, uh, mm-hmm. no friend of the pod, but he said that the intelligence community, the intelligence committee in the Senate has known about this meeting since April. Yeah, interesting. Cush- Cush- Kushner revised his SF-86, which is the security clearance form, to acknowledge this meeting, um, I think, about a month ago. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the White House knew what this all was and and yet still lied about it, which is just hard to understand what the thinking is there unless there's something much bigger you want to hide. Yeah, or the fact that they're just – they lie about everything all the time um, compulsively. Yeah. Yeah. so, like, look, Tim Kaine, uh, even Seth Moulton, friend of the pod, uh, they throw out the word treason. We should just tell, I mean, we've said this before because I remember there was an episode where we wondered about treason and then we asked our brilliant listeners and uh, those with legal backgrounds um, instantly replied. The reason that what, what Trump Jr. did not did is not treason is, because, is a very simple reason. You can only commit treason by aiding a country we're actually at war with. And we're not at war with Russia, um, so the the in a, from a legal standpoint, the treason charge does not apply here. Just very, very simple. Um, is it illegal? So, according to quite a few lawyers, possibly yes. Um, uh, it, it's possible that it involves conspiracy to commit election fraud, uh, conspiracy to commit campaign finance violations, which are both federal statutes. Um, the law prohibits accepting anything of value from a foreign government or a foreign national in a campaign. And uh, courts have held that a, quote, thing of value can be something intangible like information and not just money. Um, So that is 
That is why he's possibly in legal jeopardy. Trump Jr. finally hired a criminal defense attorney after this was revealed. So, you know, we don't know. It, it could just be, it, it could not be a real legal case. He could not be in legal jeopardy, but it seems like it, certainly the potential is there, right? Yeah, it it changed <clears throat> the the dynamic here in a huge way because it is, we now have absolute proof, like the textbook example of a smoking gun that the Trump campaign was at least open to and willing and saw nothing wrong with working with the accepting help from the Russian government to beat Hillary. Now, we don't know what happened after that meeting. Maybe this was the only meeting that happened and then it never happened again. Right. I'm very skeptical of that fact, given all the other things that have happened. And and Jared Kushner's uh, very specific amnesia that relates only to meetings with Russians. Um, but with like this is gone there you can no longer say credibly although we have an entire cable news network in fox that will do that right. uh that the idea that there might be collusion is fake news we now have evidence that collusion was possible and they were open to it, it may, i mean i don't know that it, attempted collusion i don't think is a crime although you could the conspiracy statute that you reference could affect that but they were they were certainly willing to collude and the trump donald trump junior's explanation of this is so fucking stupid but it's basically like the it wasn't wrong to do the meeting it was they promised me information they didn't they didn't give us information so you can only be left to assume that if they had showed up with a flash drive with Hillary Clinton's 33,000 emails the Trump campaign would have used them they were I mean that's what they would do when they they brought in the campaign manager and the senior most campaign aide Trump's two top stops top strategists to the meeting this wasn't just like a bunch of flunkies this was the brain trust I use yeah. the term brain trust very loosely. Very loosely. Yeah, I mean, look, if you uh, go to rob a bank and uh, hold up the whole bank and there's no money there, uh, you still tried to rob a bank. <laughs> you don't get off just because there was no money in the fucking vault. <laughs> I mean, come we on. Should, we should have we should have gone to law school. I mean, we were, we were meant for <laughs> Seems this easy. Seems easy. Um, <laughs> all right. So how much trouble is Jared in, right? Because I, I th- some a lot of people have been making this argument that Jared is is more screwed here for a few reasons. One, um, Donald Trump Jr. is not currently in the administration, but Jared is. He's a senior advisor to the president. He holds a top secret security clearance. And also, you know, as far as we know right now, this was Trump Jr.'s only meeting with uh, Russian government officials. But Jared is just swimming in them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, remember, Jared Kushner um, met with a Russian diplomat uh, to try to set up a secret communications channel between the Trumps and the Kremlin using Russian equipment. So that was that still goes unexplained. He met with the CEO of a, a Russian state owned bank. Uh, don't know what that's all about. And he had this meeting and he lied about all of them. And Mueller, according to reports, and I think uh, some of the over- the investigating committees are looking into whether the the Trump campaign data operation, yes. which Jared Kushner ran, utilized or coordinated with the hackers or, or used this information in some way. So I think the way to think about this is Donald Trump Jr., by virtue of being an absolute moron, is in bigger PR trouble. Kushner is in bigger legal trouble. Right. Significantly so. Well, did you notice in the New York Times story last night, 
Um, they said that, of course, like Jared had to go back to his SF-86. We keep using that term. That's the, that's what uh, the security clearance forms are called, the SF-86. Um, and when he initially omitted these meetings, he went back and added more than 100 names to his SF-86 of people he met with that he had forgotten about, quote unquote, forgotten about the first time around. A hundred names. I don't even remember a hundred people that I met with like this year. <laughs> right. And that's a hundred foreign nationals. Right, right. Sorry. Yeah. A hundred right. foreign nationals. Man. Um, my favorite is, of course... Axios always, um, you know, one of Axios's many White House sources is is must be, you know, Jared's PR person or Jared himself or one of Jared's most staunch defenders. And um, so yesterday they said the view in Kushner's orbit is that the brutal new revelations are more PR problems than legal problems. And if he makes progress with his Middle East peace efforts, perceptions will be very different. Yes. Okay. Yes, I'm sure. Jared is just one Middle East peace agreement away from uh, sweeping this all under the rug. Can I just help the Trump White House and the rogue Kushner PR operation or something? If your measure for success and salvation is completing Middle East peace, something that no president has done, you're in big fucking trouble. Like, if you want to spin something, say something like, if, you know— he, you know, if Kushner is able to roll out some new regulations, then he's not like pick a pick an achievable goal for your bullshit spin. Yeah, and yeah. we should let's just talk a little bit about Kushner's security clearance. Yes, I think it's important. We've talked about this before. I assume we talked about it on the pod, but I basically am running like a full time explainer course on the SF eighty six because that's all everyone wants to ask about because of Kushner mm-hmm. and. If you lie on that document, you lose your job and you are potentially prosecuted. One thing that does not happen if you lie on it is you get to keep your security clearance. And it's worth noting two things. Every person who goes to work in the White House, even if they're an intern, has to fill out an SF-86, which is basically this this long document. You, The FBI looks in your background. They make sure that there's there are no flags there and you get to go work there. And that's just to answer the phone. Kushner, every morning, has an iPad delivered to him with the nation's top, most classified, deepest secrets, like plan to kill bin Laden-like secrets. Yep. And he still has access to that, even though he lied about meeting several times with members of the Russian government. And in one of those meetings concocted a plan to communicate directly with Russia in ways in which the U.S. Intelligence Committee community in law enforcement could not hear him. That raises a flag to me. Yeah. And also, it's no wonder why our allies like no longer want to share intelligence with us, with the United States, like they have forever, because they feel uh, rightly so, that the Trump administration may be compromised and that the Russians may be listening to everything that they share with us. And and I, I don't blame them. Um, I just can't believe that not a single... Oh, I got some questions for Tim about this, but I just can't believe that no Republican is concerned enough about Jared Kushner's security clearance to... Even say a word. I like don't even do anything. Just say something. Like it is. It is very concerning 
that he still has that clearance because it just suggests that the entire I mean, maybe he's a Russian double agent, but but it also suggests that the entire process is doesn't matter. Like you can just lie if you want about anything and we'll keep giving you the nation's well, you'll get the presidential daily briefing every day. It's pretty scary. I mean, it's and it's scary. It's almost, it's, not- it's almost as if we didn't run an entire campaign where Hillary Clinton's handling of classified information was treated as a threat to the republic. Right. Right. You yeah, know, I do remember that. Um, but look, I mean, <laughs> a lot of people are like, oh, enough. Democrats are obsessed with Russia. It's an investigation. Let it play out, blah, blah, blah. And look, I, you know, I always like to talk about how this actually, why this matters going forward, why this affects people's lives. Like, Russia's not done with us yet. Right. They remain an adversary. Putin wants to meddle in our elections again, wants to do it in 2018, wants to do it in 2020. This means spreading fake news. This means hacking into people's emails, stealing people's emails, stealing people's information, spreading it around, turning us against each other, exploiting the divisions in our country. Right. Like he's he wants to do this again. And if we don't figure out what happened and who's responsible, then he's going to be able to he's going to be able to keep doing this, you know. Ay, 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 ay. Does not make me feel does not make me feel good. This is Pod Save America. Stick around. There's more great show coming your way. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March eleventh, twenty twenty-four. The title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring and full throttle is half the fun, where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Hey there, Brenda. It's Carol. Exactly. So which leg are we operating on? You mean arm. It's all connected. Asking the right question can greatly impact your future. Are you sure you're an orthopedist? Actually, I'm a Sagittarius. Especially when it comes to your finances. Do you have a question? Are you a certified financial planner? Yes, I'm a CFP professional. CFP professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How do you cope when there's something weighing on you or something you need to get off your chest? You know the best way to do it? Best way to cope is to talk about it. Not just cram it down, not do what generations of New Englanders have done, just stuff their feelings down, maybe cover it with a coat of booze. No, you got to talk to someone, you got to work it out, get it off your chest. And just by doing that, you will feel better. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash PSA. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash PSA. So the other question, what did Trump know, right? Uh, What did Trump know and when did he know it? So, you know, Trump 
in, a, in an interview yesterday, denied knowing about this meeting until a few days ago. Of course, he said, you know, I had nothing to do with it, blah, blah, blah. But what we do know is that just hours after, hours after the meeting with Don Jr. and Manafort and Kushner and the Russian government attorney took place, Donald Trump went out on the stump and promised publicly that he was going to give a major speech on, quote, all the things that have taken place with the Clintons in a couple days. And he said it will be very interesting. Hopefully the press will be there. And then the day comes and he never gives the speech. So that's 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 quite interesting now. Yeah, I'm interested in that. That's, <laughs> I mean, it's so like the level of guilt here, even if they didn't succeed in the things they were doing, is so patently obvious. It's it's yeah. mind boggling. Of course, of course, Donald Trump Jr. or Jared Kushner or Paul Manafort told Trump about this meeting. It is in it is impossible to imagine they did not. It just it is impo- it is impossible. And even if they didn't tell him in the moment, which I believe they did. In the, we've been talking about Russia in the campaign for a year now. And at no point in that time did someone think to bring up, hey, we met with someone representing the Russian government promising information on Hillary. Even if you were innocent, you would talk about that to say, we better figure out a way to get that out and make sure people, you know, under, you know, understand the context of it. And so it's, it's, imp- of course they told them. Of course they told them. <laughs> and it is just, it, the idea that, we would even presume that they didn't when they lie all the time is so fucking ridiculous to me. Well, and also let's remember that line from the email where it says, I could, I could just send this information directly to your father through Rona. Uh, yeah. seems first like first Rona- name basis with his assistant. First name way, basis. If, if I'm Rona, I may be looking for a good attorney. Cause I think, I think Rona's getting a subpoena. <laughs> she, oh yeah. She seems like someone, someone's bringing in Rona to figure out what she, what she's going to have to say about the whole thing. Um, so look, other question is, Everyone's like, oh, fake news, fake news, right? That's the, you know, that's what Fox and all of them are going to say. Number one, you know, Donald Trump Jr. released this email himself. Number two, in all these New York Times stories, it says the sourcing is three people in the White House. Keep saying three people close to the White House, three people in the White House. So who, and, and it's, and there's now reporting that they are so angry inside the White House and they're wondering who the traitor is and who has been leaking all this. So who do, who do you think the, the leak is here? <sighs> I've done a lot of thinking about this. Okay. And it's Jared Kushner, obviously. <laughs> it is 100% Jared Kushner. Really? Because I, I don't know how, why it was Jared Kushner when the email shows that the whole thing was forwarded to Jared Kushner and Paul Manafort. So it's just, it's impl- it implicates Jared Kushner because Kushner now can't say he didn't know about the email or the meeting or didn't know what meeting he was going to because there's a four-page email that says the whole thing that he's on. Yeah. But Kushner's attorneys knew that that email. So Kushner's attorneys found the email when right. they went looking right. for documents. So they've known about this for a long time. They've and they have been anticipating this and um, gave the document to or and changed his SF eighty six, which the which the investigating committees have, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so my theory here is they didn't proactively just say, hey, you know what would be fun on Saturday? Let's leak this. They know the New York Times has been working on this for a long time. Right. And the best – I don't know whether they gave the email. The email might be in the hands of the committee. I don't know. But Kushner's people work to frame the story because the story puts all of this on Donald Trump Jr. And 
we forget about Kushner. He like he was. I hundred percent believe that it was Kushner's attorney. Kushner's 75 spokespeople in the White House, Kushner's outside PR person um, trying to take a story they knew was coming and frame it in a way that was best for Kushner. Um, and that came at the expense of Donald Trump Jr. Well, we shall see. It's a, it's a good theory. I mean, I, I could see it. I could see it. Do you have um, an alternative theory? No, I have no idea. I mean, like, I don't know. Hope Hicks hasn't been in any of these stories. I saw a few people floating that theory. She's the uh, she's the only one we haven't heard about in any of these stories. Uh, I don't know what the motive is there, though. It could yeah. be it could be it could be one of the people who we've been told are trying to protect all of us from worse things to happen, like Dina Powell or someone like that. You know, I... um, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, so where does this go from here? Um, so you, you shared with me a story yesterday uh, there are a couple of Democrats, former Democrat, former Democratic staffer who filed an invasion of privacy lawsuit against Trump and Roger Stone, accusing them of conspiring in the release of hacked emails. Uh, this suit was organized by Protect Democracy, which is made up of some former Obama lawyers, friends of ours. Um, and this lawsuit is basically all about discovery, right? If they if they sue for this, a judge can do what the congressional committees have refused to do so far, which is allow witnesses to be deposed, campaign emails and other documents um, to be subpoenaed. And so we could learn a lot more uh, than we are from the Republican-run congressional committees. What do, you, what do you think about this lawsuit? I think this is a this is a very interesting thing for all of us to watch because it's been thought of in a very smart way, which is one of the challenges in all these things is standing. Like who, who mm-hmm. is the actual grounds to sue? And we have people whose privacy was violated through these leaks that it's, it's pretty clear in the, in the case, in the plaintiffs here that they suffered damage from it. And it'll be up to the court to determine whether uh, through the, through the process to determine whether the Trump campaign was liable for that damage. And because it's a civil suit, there's a lower bar here, there's discovery. And it's a, it's a very interesting way to get to the bottom of what happened here and on a, perhaps a, a more expedited timeline than might happen through the much longer, much more opaque Mueller process. And so, and I think each one of these things, you know, the these investigations put tremendous stress on an already overstaffed White House. And even a, a fully staffed, competent White House is under tremendous pressure from these things. And so this understaffed collection of Nimrods who are currently working in the White House are really pressured for it because they are responding to Mueller. They're responding to the Senate Intelligence Committee, the House Intelligence Committee. The Senate Judiciary Committee just sent a letter asking for Donald Trump Jr. to testify. You have Mueller. You have um, – and now you have a couple of these lawsuits here. And so they are responding to document requests. They're responding to deposition requests. They are – and so every one of these puts more pressure on them. And every time someone is interviewed – under oath in some way, shape, or form, they are exposing themselves to tremendous legal jeopardy unless they tell the exact 100% accurate truth. And, you know, this the last scandal that really sort of rocked Washington before this was the Valerie Plame scandal and back in the Bush administration when oh, yeah. uh, Bush the Bush administration was accused of leaking the that Valerie played that Joe Wilson, a guy, a Bush critic, that his wife was a CIA agent, 
And the person who ended up going to jail for that did not go to jail for leaking classified information. They went to jail for obstructing justice and lying to the special prosecutor. And so that's usually where these things happen. So the more that's happening, I think, the more uh, chance we have for something for the Bush folks to step in, step in, a, step in and get in trouble. Yeah, so it doesn't uh, doesn't seem like things are going well for them. Um, but one one place where things are going well and everything seems copacetic and wonderful is the land of Fox News and <laughs> the conservative media, uh, the Republican media, as you say. So let's talk about the reactions from Trump, from Republicans, from uh, Republican media. Um, Donald Trump gave an interview yesterday where he said. My son, well, he tweeted, my son Donald did a good job last night. He was open, transparent, and innocent. He also called him high quality, which is always a phrase you use for your children. Um, (laughs) Is he he parachute sheets? Like, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's something. Um, Congressional Republicans, uh, we're going to talk to Tim more about this when he's on here, but like, just... You know, a fewer. It ranges from a few who were concerned and said they wouldn't have taken the meeting to some who said, "Ah, yeah, I would have taken the meeting, and this is no big deal, and this is overblown." Um, And some are just punting and saying, "Well, we'll see what the committee say." But uh, not a lot of courage there. And then, then full conspiracy theories on Fox. Um, Democrats set up Donald Trump Jr. They planned this whole thing. Um, you know, Obama let the lawyer into the country in the first place. What about the Ukrainian meddling in the election? I mean, pick pick your crazy fucking theory. It's all right there on Fox. Um, and Sean, <laughs> my fa- go ahead. My, my favorite was not on Fox, it was Alex Jones, which was that Trump Jr. was accomplishing his mission of outing Russian spies. <laughs> I didn't hear that. Yes. Yes. It was an undercover mission to identify Russian spies on behalf of the U.S. government, basically. Wow. Good job. Good job, Junior. He's a hero. I didn't know that. So look, I mean, when we see, again, when we see like polls a couple of weeks from now that shows that like 35, 40 percent of the country doesn't think there's anything wrong, doesn't think Donald Trump Jr. did anything wrong, doesn't think there's anything to Russia collusion. Um, it's because those people are primarily getting their news from Fox and Breitbart and Infowars and Rush Limbaugh and all the rest who, you know, are just continuing to peddle propaganda for the state because that's what they do. (laughs) There's been a couple of interesting examples of this. So there was a Hill story which suggested incorrectly that Comey's memos contain classified information. And, you know, there's nothing the Republicans like more than to accuse someone of being a leaker. Right. So Fox News... uh, Ran with that story, Fox and Friends in particular. Fox, the Fox Friends Twitter account tweeted about it. They spent 24 hours talking about this, about, oh, look, Jim Comey's in trouble. Do not look at the Russian collusion happening over here. Donald Trump tweet retweets the Fox, or sees it on Fox and Friends, tweets about it. Turns out the whole thing is wrong. After 24 hours of talking about it, Fox News spends five seconds saying, oh, that was wrong. Like, and I don't, we say all the time, like, there are these, there are some real journalists who work at Fox. Bullshit. No. I will give, I will give Chris Wallace the one exception for this, but. Shep. Shep, yeah, yes, fine. Chris Wallace and Shep. But I don't understand how, if you are a journalist, and even a conservative journalist, right, you believe 
that all these other outlets are biased against conservatives or they don't cover conservatives, whatever that is. But you, I, it is not, that is not journalism that happens there. I don't care if you're a real journalist. You work at a propaganda outlet and you, by showing up on the air every day, you abide by a specific process to make America dumber so the Koch brothers can get their policies and Rupert Murdoch and his sons can get rich. That's what it is. And if someone, if there's a, a quote unquote real journalist on Fox who wants to explain how what they do is not horrendous for the country, I would love to hear it, but it's bullshit. They are. I, I, I was thinking about this yesterday. I don't think there's a group of people in this country that I have more antipathy towards than the people who work at Fox News. I, and it, that includes like the White House. That includes the House Republicans. That includes all the politicians we talk about all the time. I think that the people at Fox News and the people who run it, you know, um, they have been engaged in trying to lie and brainwash, lie to and brainwash Americans um, for years and years and years and nothing will stop them from doing it and they do it for money and they do it for ratings and there is no ideology attached. It's not like they believe certain things. It's not about partisanship. It's just about, um, they just, that, that's how, that's how they get the ratings. They, they, they get people angry and afraid and it is so poisoned our country. I just, I don't even, uh, if someone can figure out a project to figure out how to get people to stop watching Fox News, then we would all be better off. If there, if there were, if Fox News ceased to exist tomorrow, the country would instantly start improving over yes. time. I just, I can't emphasize this enough because like all these Republican politicians, the reason they take such cowardly positions, one of the, one of the big reasons they take such cowardly positions is because they get pressured by a base that has been told by Fox News all kinds of crazy conspiracy theories. And that's and because these people get their news primarily from Fox and don't read other news outlets because they've been told they're all fake. Um, why would they believe anything different? And it's not just the voters and the people in the country who watch Fox. The only TV station allowed in almost every Republican congressional office is right. Fox News. It is what the members watch exclusively. It's where they get all their information. It is where the staffers get their information. It is where they believe the things they are saying. They don't think the Russia, much of the reasons why Republicans are not freaking out on, on Capitol, not freaking out about Russia is they're watching Fox News and moronic blowhards like Eric Bowling are telling people that collusion is not a crime. Right. <laughs> it is just, and it is so damaging. And I do believe that there is room for conservative a conservative journalistic enterprise, whether it's a TV station or anything else like that, I am okay with that. Like I, I do understand the idea behind Fox News in the beginning. I don't think they ever abided by it, but the idea that, look, all the news decisions are made by a bunch of people who are almost certainly liberal who live in LA, New York, and DC, and there's large swaths of the com- of the country who have whose whose interests or I, her life experiences are not covered by that. And, and there, so there is a place for it, but that is not what Fox is. It is a, and maybe that's how it started. I don't know. We're, I'm not old enough to really remember the early days of Fox, but it is a destructive propaganda outlet that is 
that creates an alternative reality where it is okay to collude with Russia with no regard for the facts. Because when I was in the White House and Putin invaded uh, Crimea, Fox ran 24-7 about how Obama was too weak to take on Putin, this horrible threat. that We were, we were reliving Rocky IV 24-7 on Fox News. And now it's <laughs> like, who wouldn't take a meeting with Putin? Eh. Like it's, the whole thing is fucking crazy. Yeah. I guess we and got that, to the part where I said I want to talk in the outline where I said I want to talk about Fox because I'm really pissed. <laughs> we we got there. Look, and yeah. there's there's just there's no equivalent on the left. We just don't have anything like this. We have and we, we have, shouldn't. We have liberal right. We shouldn't. We have on MSNBC. We have hosts of shows who are liberal. Chris Hayes, uh, Lawrence O'Donnell, Rachel Maddow. Chris Matthews. You also have a bunch of Republicans now on that station. And even, and the liberals on that station will, they are based in reality. They are based in facts. You can quibble them with them. You can disagree with them. You can say some things that, you know, are unfair that they say, but they are based in reality. They are based in fact. So is the Huffington Post. So, for at least the, all the journalists that work there, I can't speak for all the people who blog on the site, but all the journalists who work there are some of the better journalists in, in politics. Um and any other outlet on the left, or most other outlets on the left, certainly outlets on the left, n- none of them with an audience as big as fucking Fox, um, do anything like Fox, you know? And it's uh, it's just gross. It's gross. And look, I, and I, I separate Fox, too, from places like National Review and places like that, which I vehemently disagree with and think are wrong about a whole bunch of things. But they don't necessarily spend their days trafficking in conspiracies and, like— and flip-flopping so insanely like Fox does just based on whatever, you know, the Trump line of the day is. That's right. They're, they are conservative media. Trump, it, Fox is Republican media. Yeah, it's bad. Um, okay, let's talk about health care. Uh, new bill out this morning. So uh, to summarize the whole thing, I'll say this. Basically, the the biggest problem with the health care bill as it stands now is that it cuts $1.2 trillion in health care coverage for people, right? And so that is both Medicaid coverage and subsidies for people to buy insurance on the individual market. Um, basically now, in this new bill, Mitch McConnell has kept some of the taxes on high-income people, but not all of them, just some of them, added a couple billion for op- the opioid crisis, a um, few other things, and it might total up to near $400 billion. That still means that there are $800 billion, seven to $800 billion worth of cuts to people's coverage. Um, like we said before, this is probably going to take the CBO score from, you know, 22 million uninsured to like 18 million uninsured. That's just, that's the best guess. Um I talked to Andy Slavitt before we, uh, who, who ran Medicare and Medicaid in the Obama administration, who's been following this closely uh, before we started recording this. You know, he basically said, look, if they really wanted to have a better CBO score, they could have taken all that extra money and plowed it into Medicaid. Um, instead, they plowed it into like um, some of the subsidies. There's like an insurance company slush fund that's reinsurance and hoping that re- that insurance companies will use the money to lower premiums for people. Um, they use it for health savings accounts, which basically only rich people can use anyway. Um, and so they didn't actually take all the money that they saved from keeping the taxes in place. If they really wanted a better CBO score, they would have put that money into Medicaid to stop some of these horrible Medicaid cuts, but they didn't do that. And the biggest problem that the 
wavering Republican senators had with the original bill, the one the Republican senators who are who are so far against this bill, is the cuts to Medicaid, and he didn't do shit about the cuts to Medicaid. Um, so it's it's and what they but what he did do, what McConnell did do to try to get Ted Cruz and Mike Lee on board was to add this Cruz amendment, which basically fucks people with pre-existing conditions and people who need. Uh, you know, essential health benefits and need things like cancer treatment and maternity care and ambulance rides and doctor's visits and all that kind of stuff paid for because they're sick or because they have pre-existing conditions. Um, so he tacked far right to try to get Cruz and Lee and um, didn't do anything on the Medicaid front to help people like Collins and Heller and Murkowski and Capito and Portman and all these people who were worried about Medicaid cuts. And that's that's where we are right now. This is sort of a perfect parable for the Republican Party in the modern era, which is you have a set of there are two ways to go here. You could compromise. You could you could try to appeal to the center right of your party or you can go hard right. And McConnell went hard right with the belief that if he could get the hard right, get Cruz and Lee, he could pressure the moderates. To right. giving in to do what he wants to do, which is how the House bill passed. And instead of trying, this really w- was an exercise to throw together some bullshit talking points for people maybe like Portman or Capito to say that they got something for their states in the opioid money. Um, but it, it was to make the bill meaner. The critique of the bill was, even though it was devastating for health care, too many people got too good health care out of it. So we had to change that fact. Too many cancer patients would be covered. And so that was somehow offensive to some number of Republican senators. And so we had to make sure that more cancer patients would not be able to afford their coverage. And and, it, and I think it's interesting, as, as you point out, that they didn't fix the Medicaid, right? They They could – like that would be the easier way to do this and certainly the more compassionate way to do it. But you couldn't do that because if you if – you, paired back some of the Medicaid cuts in the original bill, then more working people would get health care. And that was not okay. And so we live in this world. And I think it is it is hard to see where this is going to go because the vote count seems very challenging. But per the Favreau rule of never betting on the integrity or goodwill of Republican members of Congress, uh, we should be very worried. And I think it's worrisome that McConnell extended the recess two weeks. And so yeah. he's got two additional weeks to beat the hell out of people. To pressure um, people. And that that worries me. Well, so nothing was done to improve Medicaid cuts at all. Um, nothing was done to improve subsidies for older Americans or for low-income Americans. Um, so that's a problem, too. The Cruz Amendment would result in massive premium increases uh, for those who need real insurance and not shitburger insurance, which doesn't cover anything. Um, uh, you know, still lifetime limits, annual limits back in place so they can put a cap on how much coverage you get if you're really sick. Um, it's really bad. So the question is now what happens? Well, Rand Paul, who, again, I said we still can't count on these right wingers here, but Rand Paul basically wrote an op-ed yesterday that he published in Breitbart that said that the bill is a fucking travesty and he's voting against it and it was still Obamacare. And, you know, unless he sees a completely new different bill, he's voting against it. And he wasn't even on board with the bill, even if the Cruz Amendment was amended. So it does seem 
that Rand Paul is is a no. Susan Collins said, if nothing is done to the Medicaid cuts, um, I will still be a no. And I and not just they're not just no's, they're no's on the motion to proceed. A motion to proceed basically says, all right, let's get to a process where everyone gets to offer their amendments to the bill, and we either vote in the amendments or we vote them down, and then we take a final vote. Um, you have to get there first. And and Collins and Paul at least are saying we're not even letting you get there. So now, if one more Republican senator says they will vote no on a motion to proceed, this thing is dead. And so the question is, who does that? Um, you know, Dean Heller voted no on a motion to proceed on the last version of the bill. So someone just asked Dean Heller this morning as he went into the lunch with McConnell, are you undecided? Are you still undecided on, on whether you're going to vote for a motion to proceed? And he said, yes, I'm still undecided. I have heard that Dean Heller is getting tremendous, tremendous pressure from one Steve Wynn fucking casino magnet in Las Vegas, who owns the Wind Hotels, and is basically making all kinds of threats to Dean Heller. He's going to, you know, uh, put money into a primary opponent and all that kind of stuff. So Dean Heller is now caught between his own Republican governor, who's about 20 points more popular than he is, Governor Sandoval, who hates this bill and is against it, and Steve Wynn, the casino magnet, who, you know, will could, could bury him in all kinds of uh, campaign donations to an opponent. So that's where Dean Heller is right now. And you have to think about Dean Heller's calculus, right? Because he might be at the point where he's thinking, fuck, I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. I'm going to lose in 2018, either because I have some Republican primary opponent that Trump and win sick after me or um, a Democrat's going to beat me. And if that's the case, then he's got nothing to lose. And then you have to figure out, like, you know. Does he vote against this bill because he thinks it's the right thing to do? Does he vote for it because then maybe Trump makes him an ambassador somewhere? Like, (laughs) what does Dean Heller do? Um, But we should also point out that Murkowski is also very upset with this, um, with the fact that there's no changes to Medicaid. Um, She's voiced some real concern about this bill. So she's possibly gettable as a no. And I guess Capito and um, maybe Portman. I don't know. There might be a few others out there. But, you know, it's getting down to it. Yes. A couple other notes on this is one, John Hoven uh, of North Dakota went. So I guess Murkowski stood up in the Republican launch yesterday and was very angry at the leadership about the Medicaid uh, provisions in the new bill, in the old bill and the new bill. And she was backed by Hoven, who's very close to the Senate leadership. So that was interesting. And then uh, Lindsey Graham and John Cassidy have put out their own plan today, which uh, was a more sort of a straight repeal plan. Um, Right. Oh, right. Good point. It's just not. They're not necessarily nose on the um, on the McConnell plan. I think they just like this plan better because I, th- I believe McConnell fixed – there's a specific Louisiana issue around hospital funding um, that I think McConnell fixed in this bill to buy off Cassidy. So those are not guaranteed nose, but it is interesting they felt compelled to release their own plan at the same time McConnell was releasing his. So – yeah, and of we course, have no control over where this is going. The only thing we can do is continue to call offices, sit in offices, and be as engaged as people have been for the last few weeks, which has been very impressive and impactful, I think, on uh, the state of play. It has. It's working. I mean, Murkowski was saying this in an interview the other day with a reporter that it was like all these conversations she's having back home in Alaska that are really, um, you know, forcing her to really question this bill and wonder if she's going to vote for it. And so I would just say, like, all the pressure, uh, everyone who can pressure Susan Collins to remain a no, um, Dean Heller, everyone get to Nevada, 
could be, if you know people in Nevada, call Nevada, Nevada, Nevada. <laughs> I, was, I know <laughs> well I was saying there. I just, I caught myself halfway through. Um, anyway, get there, pressure Dean Heller and, um, and Murkowski. I really think that's where, that's where this goes. And look, we just heard too that um, McConnell might not have the CBO score the cruise amendment because it would be so terrible for the overall score that they might have like their own partisan organization score the bill, which is fucking bullshit. Um, so, uh, they're going to try every trick in the book to just basically sow chaos and confusion so that no one knows what's going on and they can just vote in this thing as fast as possible and tell members like it's fine. One thing, one thing McConnell's telling members is, uh, the, some of the moderates is, you know what, these Medicaid cuts, they'll never go into effect anyway. They're so far down the road, just vote for it now and you can fix it later, which is just the height of cynicism. McConnell is not a good person. <laughs> he's just not. I mean, he. I mean, let's. I'll be fair. Maybe he's a good person when he's not in the Senate, but he is a bad person in the Senate. He is what he is a walking, talking reason why Americans hate politics. It's pretty bad. Um, okay, so everyone, uh, keep it up, keep it up, because um, you know we're we're close, but we are by no means out of the woods just yet. And this is actually the time you could argue where it's most dangerous for this thing to pass because we're getting down to it. So keep up the pressure. Uh, When we come back, we will talk to uh, Republican communications guru, Tim Miller. This is Pod Save America. Stick around. There's this great stuff coming. Lots of great stuff. (laughs) Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song. A boiling river in the Amazon. A spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. On the pod today, we have one of the original friends of the pod from way back in the Keeping It 1600 days, our favorite token Republican, Tim Miller. Tim, welcome hey back. Guys. Tim, welcome I back did, to the I, pod. I, I thank you. It's good to be with you. I did some Googling. I was on episode three of Keeping It 1600. I, I, I feel like I'm the OG here. I was walking through the airport <laughs> the other day with a guy in a friend of the pod shirt. He walked right by me three times. I, I kind of wanted to shake him and, and, and get my recognition now that you guys are so famous. But I guess, and you, uh, and I guess you, no credit for the third episode. And you've been in hiding ever since. <laughs> I've, been in, I've been in deep hiding. Um, uh, late last year, after Donald Trump won, uh, I basically just watched Manchester by the Sea on repeat uh, in my basement. <laughs> Was that to and, cheer yourself uh, up? Now I, now I live in Oakland, as far away from any Trump hotels as possible. So Welcome to I'm happy California. To come back out of hiding uh, with you guys. Um, okay, so let's talk about uh, Junior's meeting. <laughs> which, you know, was just for opposition research. Obviously, you've done a lot of uh, opposition research in, in your time in politics. Uh, 
you usually get stuff from foreign nationals? Is that uh, that that's something that you usually do, or would you advise uh, would you advise Jeb Bush or John Huntsman or any of your Republican candidates to take such a meeting? Yeah, for all the noobs um, to the pod, I, I actually started an opposition research firm called America Rising. There you go, a Republican opposition research firm. So you know, I've, I, I uh, know my way around this, and I have to tell you guys, like I have as little regard for uh, uh, Don Trump Jr. and and Jared and that crew as as I thought was possible. And if if I had come on the pod last week and you guys had said, you know, man, we're hearing in our crazy liberal circles that there's an email (laughs) where somebody writes, this is obviously sensitive information, but it's part of the Russia and its government support for Mr. Trump. And one of these guys would reply, great, I love it. I would have told you that was conspiracy talent. I, I mean, uh, it is just so far beyond, you know, what, what I, I thought to even be imaginable that it's it's shocking to me that, you know, people are, are even trying to kind of brush it off. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I think that, you know, obviously there is the foreign government play here, you know, and not, you know, accepting information, illicit information from foreign governments when you're trying to, you know, uh, run for the highest office in the country. But but just putting that aside, like this isn't any foreign government. It wasn't Switzerland that they were getting information <laughs> from. And Russia actively is attempting to undermine the U.S. all around the world. That was Republican. One of our top complaints about y'all's old boss. Um, that, yeah. that, you know, he wasn't standing up to Russia where it, where it was trying to undermine our influence everywhere in the world. The Russians on, on every, you know, fundamental American value stand against us and want to remake the world in their image and in the Chinese image of, of, of what government should look like. So the idea that you would take help from these guys uh, is, it's just my, uh, mind boggling. I don't have the language to, yeah. to discuss my fear. No, look, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm willing to say that in 2012, when uh, we all scoffed at Mitt for saying that G- uh, Russia was our number one geopolitical foe, um, I think we were a little off there. <laughs> I stand by that statement. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for that humility, John. Um, I guess we've all been humbled a little bit over the last year in our predictions. But yeah, yeah, I think you guys were a little bit off on that one. I mean, Pretty clear. It's nice to have everybody on the home team. I just saw right before I got on. Paul Begala, I haven't seen the context on this. I'm hoping I'm not taking him out of context, but he said that Trump should considering bombing Russia. And uh, I enjoy, I welcome all of you Democrats to the neocon fold (laughs) and and recognizing our threats. Yeah, I don't know if I'm ready for that, but okay, Paul. Um, So so let's talk about some sample reactions from Republicans on these latest developments. You get Deputy GOP Whip Marshall Blackburn said that uh, Junior might have been duped into taking the meetings. Ted Yoho said he probably would have done the same thing. More respectable Republicans like Bob Corker said the new developments don't concern him. Orrin Hatch said it's overblown. McConnell and Ryan both dodged the question. Basically, I've only counted John McCain, Lindsey Graham, Susan Collins, and some random Republican congressman I hadn't heard of um, that said that this was really problematic and they, you know, they want Junior to testify and all that kind of stuff. Like, what's going on with the party, man? Mm, how much time do we have on this week? Uh, anything, um, anything you want to say? I, I, there are two, uh, two kind of elements to this. And the, so I'll, I'll put on my like, analytical CNN pundit hat first, and then we, then we can kind of talk real talk. But um, okay. You know what is the re- what is happening and, and what is driving this is the Republican voter 
uh, uh, support for Donald Trump. Um, you know, there, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of private polling data, and and the reality is that the Republican base wants unadulterated support for Trump. You're seeing this in the Alabama Senate primary right now, where there's basically just a big fight between all the potential Senate candidates on who loves Donald Trump the most. Um, you know, who was the most loyal viewer of The Apprentice. Um, there's a, a poll I saw that asked Republican voters of who they'd rather have as president, Trump or Pence. Um, and it was three quarters for Trump, um, over three quarters for Trump. And so that tells you, you know, I mean, with Pence being at this point a generic kind of Republican that ha- is pr- Trumpy, um, you know, I think that shows where the party is. And so people are responding to voters. You know, I, the greatest example of this was when Ted Cruz gave his vote your conscience speech at the uh, convention. Um, his internal polling had him drop with Republican voters 40 points in three days. Uh, so and that's that's where that's where the voters are. So we could have a longer discussion about why that is. Um, but that is what's driving these guys in Washington reactions to this. Um, but, you know, just explaining why is driving, it doesn't excuse us. I, I get the political calculus for why these people, these Republican members would sell the country down the tubes. But like you, I mean, at least prior to today's podcast, you have a lot of Republican friends. What are Republicans like the ones who work on Capitol Hill or others what are they saying privately about this White House and Trump and and just the idea that they are carrying water for this guy? Many of I assume many of them did not like him before he won the nomination. Yeah, nobody liked him before he won the nomination. But, <laughs> uh, you know, privately they're saying he's a disaster. But but so, you know, what 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 um, what does that get you? You know, that doesn't advance the ball in any way uh, to to criticize him privately or to kind of shake your head you know, add them privately and then move on. I mean, the big, the overwhelming feeling among my peers in Washington, right, is, you know, we want to get our agenda passed. Um, and, you know, I, I, I recognize that. I have support for that. I'm going to disagree with the uh, pod listeners on Neil Gorsuch. And, you know, I'd like to see tax reform and I like to see deregulation. But we're in a new, this is a whole new ball game here. And, and you have to respond to, you know, the facts of, of what's happening in Washington and, and the fact that the rules are, are completely changed. Uh, you know, I, I think that there's this sense of going about business as usual in Washington and just kind of like trying to ignore the crazy uncle who happens to be the president of the United States. And I, I mean, that is, you know, what's what's driving all these reactions. I I think that probably 50 years from now, if we're all still around, um, you know, there'll be a good sociological study to be done on why everybody went along with this, Uh, why people, you know, aren't um, objecting. I mean, you know, like I said earlier, the idea that that, that an email as direct as the email to John, John Jr. and direct is his response would come out. And that those responses would be the ones that you tell. I mean, some of those guys you listed are not for election again for six years. And where is the political courage to say, okay, you know, I can walk and chew gum at the same time. I can try to pass tax reform, but also <laughs> make sure that we investigate to ensure that the president's son and his son-in-law, you know, weren't directly colluding with our biggest enemy on the world stage. Uh, I, I don't understand why that doesn't happen. And, um, you know, historically... 
there have been plenty of examples of politicians who have stood in the face of um, you know unpopular issues, you know, and 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 taken the right position despite its unpopularity, and um, you know that is largely absent right now from my party. So I do want to talk about why you think that Trump is still so popular with the base. Um, before you, before we called you, we were just talking about how big of a role Fox News and Republican media plays into that calculation. Do you agree with that? I mean, do you think it's like Trump and his personal attributes that, that get them going? Or do you think it's this sort of this ecosystem um, from where a lot of the base gets their news from? Or something else? Trump, yeah, Trump, well, no, Trump definitely tapped into, um, uh, you know, he's speaking to, to people who felt, who felt like they hadn't, they weren't being spoken to before. And so a lot of these folks disagree with Trump on some issues or disagree with Trump on how, he, you know, you see the polls, like only 20% of them like that he tweets. But they like the fact that he has signaled to them that, that he cares about their issues and that they felt like there were two parties in Washington that were not, that were not speaking to them. This is a big part of working class America. This is not you know, our peers, my peers in the Republican, you know, establishment. Um, and so I think that's a big part of it. Fox News is a big part of it. But but it's tribalism, you know. And I have a, um, a column today in the Daily Beast about, you know, how we got here. Um, you know, and one of the, the elements of it is, um, you know, what you're, you're talking about with Fox News. And, you know, it's not just Fox, it's MS, it's Twitter, it's everybody. And the way that they, you know, cover politics as, you know, a game and as a as sort of, you know, no different from a reality TV show or no different from a sports match. So why are yeah. we surprised that a reality TV show host and, you know, ended up taking advantage of it? And so this tribalism, um, you know, that is, that is political and that is cultural, you know, of, you know, those of us out in flyover country, the exurbs versus the coast and the elites, you know, are leading people to, um, you know, basically just uh, just cast aside, you know, their concerns in order to fight for their team. And, you know, part of that is Fox News, but part of it is how they feel that they're um, alienated from, you know, the liberal media. They feel like they're alienated from mainstream news. They don't see people that reflect their values. They don't see people in movies and TV. And, and you know, they're angry about this. Um, and so, you know, you need to have a, you know, anthropologist on the next pod to, to explain exactly how it got this how it got this extreme but it's that you know cultural tribalism that is that is driving a lot of this i get the political calculus particularly for some of these folks who are running for senate and have primaries upcoming what advice would you give um some of the republican mem- members of the house in districts that are much more purple is it better to stick with trump or is it better to create some sort of distance putting aside the moral quandary yeah, of, sure. of um, trump and russia you know i don't under, i don't really get why there are not a couple of house champions you know that aren't guys that are just going to be you know never trump twitter trolls like poking them in the eye over every controversy but that haven't picked a couple of big high profile things particularly in national security um and 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 carried the flag for um, you know, standing up to, you know, what could potentially be, a, you know, major, major threats, um, you know, to our security. Um, that would be my advice to these guys is pick a couple of issues where you disagree with Trump 
and um, and and you know make those known, be visible on them. Uh, if you look at the mid at the not the midterms, if you look at the sixteen elections, you know the candidates that struggled were the ones that wavered with Trump, that kind of waffled and went back and forth. Um, there were you know Mike Kaufman in Colorado six. You know, essentially ran an I'm not Donald Trump uh, television campaign, um, you know, and won re-election. Carlos Curbelo, uh, guy I know down in Miami, uh, did the same thing. So, you know, there is room for people in the House in certain districts to do this, um, you know, in addition to, you know, what you said, the responsibility of people to do this. Um, you know, and, and, and it's this kind of fear of reprisal from Trump um, that is driving why they're not. But with all the number of people on the Hill that could that could carry um, this message, I don't get it. I mean, I don't get why none of them have said that Jared Kushner needs to come and and testify in front of Congress. I mean, Jared Kushner said that he wanted to create a back channel with the Russian ambassador, and he intended a meet attended a meeting premised on the fact that Russia wanted to help us, and he met with the head of a Russian bank, the, you know, Putin's preferred bank. This guy has national security clearance. I I mean, could you imagine if your pal Ben Rhodes had done that? No. (laughs) I mean, I mean, oh my! You know, his head would be on a pike. Uh, You know, you know, we'd have Ben Rhodes's you know blood in the streets in uh, the southern in in southern parts of the country if he had done even one of those things. Um, So it feels like there is um, you know room for for someone to to fill that void um, and still win re-election, whether that be a House person in a safe district or a Senate guy who just got elected. Um, but that's missing right now. Speaking of uh, Kushner and the, the Russian banker, the one thing I haven't been able to put together in the whole conspiracy, the whole collusion story is where all the financial ties fit into this. And I know that, that Mueller's looking into this and obviously Jared's implicated in this as well. But like you did a lot of research in the in the primaries on on Trump's business ties. Are there any other shoes you're expecting to drop here? Are there any other things that people aren't paying attention to when it comes to the financial ties? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the funding of Trump's hotel um, is uh, far undercovered and that there is, you know, uh, uh, not necessarily, just like I didn't expect there to be an email as direct as as the email to Don Jr., I, I don't know that I expect necessarily a direct quid pro quo um, you know, I don't, I don't want to pull Louise Mensch here, but <laughs> the funders of, of Trump's hotels are all tied into, you know, the kind of Russian oligarchy. And there's a guy named Felix Sater, who every once in a while his name will pop in a news article. I think there was a Financial Times article about him just last week, but he, it hasn't really bubbled into the mainstream consciousness. And, and Sater helped fund, Sater is, 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 was born in Russia. Um, and is deeply tied with the Russian mob and with Russian oligarchs. And he helped fund Trump hotels in, uh, I know, Miami, and as I think Atlantic City and maybe some, some other places. It's been a while since I looked at the research. But um, Seder alone um, you know, is, is a major, major potential problem. But then when you look at all these other uh, Trump hotels, he had trouble getting financing for a lot of these places. I mean, Deutsche Bank is really the only you know, major bank that was, was willing to work with Trump. And so, you know, the possibilities for um, Russian oligarchs to, uh, you know, put money, you know, put money into the banks that did fund Trump um, without a direct paper trail that we would know about that we'd be able to get through opposition research, but that Mueller could get to through financial records, you know, I think is highly possible. 
Um, and then you got the Kushner speaking. Right. right? Well, that's going to say. And you have the whole, you know, whole, uh, you know, Kushner's family is right now going around the world. I mean, they they need money. They're that's a highly leveraged business, and you know, there there's a lot of potential Russian ties there too. Um. So, last question. We'll let you go. Uh, I noticed. Uh, on, the other night on Stephen Colbert's show, uh, Joe Scarborough announced that he is no longer a member of the Republican Party, that now he's going to be an independent. Uh, what about you? You still uh, you still a Republican? You want to make any news on Pod Save America or no? I'm not making any news on Pod Save America. Um, <laughs> I am still a Republican, though it's very hard in the Trump era. Your party, um, I think, is about to go into cuckoo town as well, uh, you know, based on the ads and my Twitter. Uh, I'm concerned that you're going to have a socialist celebrity uh as your nominee in 2020 uh you know we'll see so i'm not i'm I'm certainly not ready to become a democrat the scarborough thing though is so galling (laughs) and i need to have we need to have a quick aside please do let me go i mean joe scarborough was the biggest trump cheerleader throughout the primaries when i was working for jeb trump would call in from his bathrobe in trump tower and, and and scarborough and mika would just giggle you know, the questions would be like, Trump, how did you come up with that little Marco name? How did you come up with that? That's, that's genius, Brent. And, like, these were the questions that they would ask. And then they went on a, after he won the nomination, they went on, like, a victory tour, like a celebration tour where they're at, they had an ad out where they were talking about how they had predicted it. And they were the ones that knew. And now Scarborough, you know, wants to be the leader of the resistance. I, I mean, I, I welcome converts. I wish there were a couple more converts on the Hill, but... You know, I, I would like at least a little bit more humility from Joe Scarborough. You know, he gave an interview last week where he said that Trump is different than the guy I knew two years ago. Yeah, that's which is such bullshit. I mean, Trump is the same guy that he was when he was in kindergarten, basically. It's the same guy he was when he was lapping around Don Jr. Uh, when he was a college kid. I mean, Trump is an asshole, and he always has been. And he's the exact same guy that he was two years ago and four years ago. And, um, you know, I, I would hope that Scarborough, um, you know, rather than, you know, try to get the PR effect of going on to Colbert and pretending to be a resistance, um, you know, leader, uh, would have a little bit more humility in this, in, in that effort. So I don't want to scare away future, future converts. I'm not going to, you know, go off on everybody like that, but Scarborough. Um, he he would grind your gears. Seems seems like it might not be on the level, huh? <laughs> we'll, we'll take look. We'll take what we can get here. <laughs> uh, Tim, please come back again. Uh, loved having you on, and uh, and we'll we'll, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Tim, can I give you a piece of advice as a new Californian? Yes. When you meet people, introduce yourself as a friend of the pod before you say. Uh, former Republican staffer. You know, one of the nice things about being a new Californian is I got, um, and coming on this show, uh, I guess, demonstrates that, um, I, I got kind of tired of being the one, you know, person in D.C. in my Republican circle who was always like the turd in the punch bowl. And so it's nice to be around all of these, like, insane socialists uh, to remind me that I do still have, you know, a conservatism at heart. So I kind of, I kind of would rather lead with being a Republican and, and feel their, uh, feel their anger and then kind of soften them by letting them know that, that, uh, I'm a friend of the pod at the end. Well, yeah, uh, enjoy- let's talk, let's talk in six weeks when you, when you're drinking a green smoothie a day. I was, just, I was just going to say, go okay. enjoy, enjoy your kombucha after your yoga this morning. <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna go do a vinyasa yoga. Actually, 12:30. So uh, we gotta we gotta end up now. All right, man. Take care. This is Pod Save America. Stick around. There's more great show coming your way.
Explore the world's hidden wonders on the Atlas Obscura podcast, a village in India where everyone's name is a song, a boiling river in the Amazon, a spacecraft cemetery in the middle of the ocean. Every day, the Atlas Obscura podcast will blow your mind in 15 minutes. You can find it on the SiriusXM app, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. On the pod, we have the host of Crooked Media's with friends like these, Anna Marie Cox. Hello. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Uh, I'm quite, I'm well. I'm well. Again, Um, all things considered. Yes, as always. Yes. Um, So we'll start. Dan has a readout of the Trump Macron press conference. So we can (laughs) we can live react to that here. Dan, go ahead. Yeah. Have you been watching it, Anna? I know I'm in the studio. So this will be a fresh reaction from me. Okay. Well, I would say it is does not appear to be based on Twitter to be super interesting. But uh, Trump did get asked about uh, obviously Donald Trump Jr.'s meetings, and he sort of repeated the "he's a good kid" situation, and that anyone would have taken that meeting with uh, perhaps our greatest global adversary's government. Um, but he did blame. Uh, seems based on Twitter, he blamed Loretta Lynch for letting the Russian <laughs> lawyer into the country. <laughs> Anna, your reaction. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. God. Um, wow. Well, that's, you know, it is amazing. You know, Donald Trump doesn't look like he's a very flexible person physically. Um, <laughs> we, we know that he's a, a, a voids exercise. But wow, does he twist himself into knots looking for ways to blame Obama and mention Clinton? Um, that's some dexterity. That is he rolled a high, high number on the 12 sided die um, for that particular skill. I'm not sure what else he has going. By the way, like, I think his defenses of Don Jr. are, like, weirdly the kinds of things you would say, like, in a not very enthusiastic employee review. (laughs) High quality. (laughs) He's high quality. Transparent. He he certainly comes to work. (laughs) (laughs) He is is absolutely one of my children. (laughs) He is completely my, so far as I know. One of my children. <laughs> he is in the top five of my children. He's the third least favorite. Um, <laughs> pretty high up, really, all things considered. So um, he didn't. Did he? And I also understand he did the shaken pole with the French first lady. Uh, I saw a few. Uh, I saw a few images of that. That seemed he's he's really got this weird greeting style. I mean, I know I know it's like a small thing in the grand scheme of what we're dealing with here. So I don't like to talk about you know personal interactions as much, but yeah, pretty it, weird. It's a window onto who he is. What do we want to talk about in the grand scheme of things? I can tell you what we talked about on uh, with friends like these. Please do. Please do. Before we do that, can I do one more press conference oh, sure. thing? Sure. Yeah. A French reporter asked Trump about whether his friend Jim, the one who famously <laughs> said he no longer went to Paris because it was so dangerous, yes. whether that friend actually existed because there was a hard-hitting AP right. story this morning which suggests that it may be an imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. Trump refused to confirm that Jim existed. <laughs> He's he's from Canada. You wouldn't know him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> it's his friend from camp. Yeah, his friend from camp. Um, so uh, anyway, with friends like these, I'm I'm actually really excited about this week's episode. It's an uh, interview with Anita Cameron, who is an activist with ADAP, the National Disability Rights Organization. Oh, they've been doing incredible work on the uh, protesting work. the health care bill. 
Amazing. Good work. I actually didn't get this end of the interview with her, but I'll let you guys know, which is that so they've been getting arrested a lot, right? They've yeah. been doing civil disobedience. Um, and people pointed out the reason they can get arrested is that police vans are wheelchair accessible. And oh that is God. because of the protest they did 20 years ago um, to help get the you know ADA started. Whoa. So it's sort of an and then also, but on the other side of that, um, one of the jails that they got put in, I think in Ohio, had to release them because it was not wheelchair accessible, the jail. So they've got some, you know, they've, they've got, a, you know, some pluses and minuses to, to things being wheelchair accessible for them. So anyway, so Anita Cameron and then Van Newkirk, who you guys probably know as a writer uh, for The Atlantic, uh, he works, uh, does a lot of really interesting reporting around uh, race and disability and healthcare policy and voting rights, which are four things that intersect in really important ways. And he and I talked about the history of the disability rights movement and its roots in the civil rights movement uh, and healthcare as not just a civil right in the way we think about disability rights being a category of people who deserve you know, civil rights, but that a lot of disabled people and disabled people of color were active in what we think of as the original civil rights movement um, and that the black community has really pushed forward public health um, in part because they had to. Because those were the only hospitals, public hospitals were the only hospitals that black people had access to for many, many years. So it's hmm. a conversation I was really excited to have. And I, I think I think people will I think people will learn stuff. It's an yeah. important conversation to have right now. Has she talked about um, what they've heard in uh, a lot of these protests from, you know, when they have been able to talk to staffers and haven't just been arrested? Have, you know, have, have, do they think this has been working? Do they feel like the pressure has been working? What, what did you hear about that? Um. I don't they had not had a ton of luck in terms of the pressure working. They've mostly just had to do civil disobedience. I think that it's interesting, though, because their tactic is uh, slightly different from the ones uh, from the tactic that, that we discuss, which has to do with putting pressure on vulnerable senators. Uh-huh. The ADAP tactic is to just make as much noise as possible and draw attention to the fact that this is not so much an ACA repeal as it is a uh, drawing and quartering of Medicaid, that this is a Medicaid repeal. Um, and people really need to understand that. And this bill also reframes the way we talk about Medicaid. It tries to reframe Medicaid as a welfare state thing and as a, something that is about you know, giving uh, aid to people who are invalids somehow. Right. And that's not what Medicaid is about. Medicaid in many ways, um, for many people with disabilities, Medicaid is how they become a part of society, not how they sort of leech off of society. It's what enables them to do the kinds of things that we want, you know, people to do. Uh, vote, for instance, get an education, um, go to school, have children, take care of children. So I, I hope that that's something people, you know, come out of this episode realizing that that yeah. one, one of the really big things that's happening in this bill is... is a lot to do with Medicaid, not so much the ACA. No, it's 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 interesting. I learned this in the White House um, when we were writing about healthcare from both um, Phil Shalero, who was our legislative director at the beginning of the administration, and Gene Sperling, who a lot of people know is our economic policy director. And they talk a lot about Medicaid, and they say so many people think is Medicaid is just health insurance for the poor, you know. Mm -hmm. And there are so many children with disabilities, adults with disabilities, um, who are able to live independent lives and be productive members of society, which is what Republicans say they want people to be because 
they get support for med- from Medicaid, you know, and it is just it's it's empowering to a lot of people. And the idea that it's like this hammock, you know, that everyone's just jumping on Medicaid um, because they don't want to work and they want to get free health care is um, just doesn't line up with the facts of the program. No, and Van actually put it really well. He said, you know, people think of it as a safety net, but it's really a scaffold. Um, right. it, it is what supports um, the people who need it the most and it allows them to climb upward, you know. Uh, and I also, I just want to point out something. So this bill is still really unpopular. Um, it, I don't know. Have you guys thought about, I mean, so it has 12% approval rating. You maybe know my conspiracy theory on this, which is that the only reason you would vote for a bill with 12% approval rating is that you're not worried about winning a fair election. Mm. So that's a little... Little, little crazy, perhaps. Uh, you know, I, I haven't thought about that as much as like some of these senators aren't up in 18, right? Like the ones mm-hmm. who are, well, the two who are up in 18 are uh, Dean Heller, who's obviously, you know, so far a no, but we'll see. And then Jeff Flake, who's much more of a yes, because he seems more worried about a primary challenger than he is a Democratic opponent because mm-hmm. uh, it's Arizona, you know? And um so some of the other ones, I think maybe they think to themselves, well, if I'm up in 20 or 22, maybe by then, you know, the Medicaid cuts won't go into effect or people will forget about this vote or I don't have to worry about it. And I, I feel like that goes into the thinking a little more. But, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm being a little, like I said, a little conspiratorial just because it is hard to get your head around, I think, if you're just a normal, non-venal person, like if you're just someone who right, I know. tries to think through what bills do, like what legislation does, it's kind of hard to get your head around why you would still vote for something that's this unpopular and that does such damage to what had been agreed upon, kind of what had been a consensus program. Like you guys know this probably better than I do, like how like Medicaid is not was not controversial <laughs> you know yeah um well so uh we we probably have to get going but i should break some news here from from oh. twitter before we do there are now three no's on a motion to proceed on this bill on the wow. new bill uh paul, who's the third paul is a no collins is a no and portman just said he was a no you know what you know where you know where anita got arrested last week portman's office that's right so maybe they were listening um, so who, I mean, Portman said he's, you know, it's because of these Medicaid cuts, they still haven't gotten in touch with Heller and some of these other people. So there could be no, more, but, um, all three said as of now, now, of course the bill could change mm-hmm. between now and next week or, you know, McConnell's like Dan said, has given himself some more time for recess, but this version of the bill, as it stands now, they have three no's, which means they cannot proceed, which means the bill for now, uh, is dead, but you know. Well, yeah. there will be more yet. than three no's by the and end McConnell of the day. McConnell is out there with his with his CPR paddles, you know, which right. were probably paid for by Medicaid, yeah. but you know, yeah. <laughs> um, he'll cut it off right after that. Yeah. They, yeah. uh, we'll see. They, like, there's a lot of time left. A lot of time for people to still get involved. Yep. get involved. Keep going because McConnell can still dole out favors here and and make some tweaks, and then all of a sudden the thing's back. So yeah. keep up the pressure. Um, with friends like these, is that uh, tomorrow, Friday? Go download that. I can't wait to listen to this episode. Um, Thank you, Anna, for joining us. Dan, good to talk to you. And uh, we'll see everyone uh, next week. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. 
I love the book, The Power Broker, the epic biography of former New York City planner Robert Moses. So I'm breaking it down 100 pages at a time and talking to special guests about why this book matters, like Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I actually think if it wasn't for Robert Moses, I probably wouldn't have run for Congress. Listen to 99% Invisible's breakdown of The Power Broker every month on the 99% Invisible podcast feed. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. 